0: Yeah. Main man. Main man. Main man. Main man. Main man. Right. Main man. I was once described as the manager, the mentor, and the visionary who went to the theater with an unfocused dilettante and raised the curtain on a superstar. Hello, and welcome to episode 39 in our series exploring the history of Main Man the management rights company which was renowned in the 70s for transforming the business of rock and roll. While allowing main man artists to explore their creative freedom, the company pioneered promotion and marketing techniques that became synonymous with the decadence, extravagances and indulgences that are now part of rock folklore.
1: What about uh, when you're making love? Do you feel real then?
0: I'm not quite sure the definition. Do you feel as
1: fulfilled as when you're performing? Oh, yes.
0: Yeah. Mainman Man worked with a diverse range of clients that included Marianne Faithfull, Amanda Lear, Mick Ronson, John Mellencamp, Mott the Hoople, Dana Gillespie, Mick Ralphs, Iggy Pop, Lou Reed, and David Bowie.
1: I ran into him and uh, this guy, Tony DeFreeze, in New York, Maxis, Kansas City. The Stooges had broken up. We got kicked off Electra for making Funhouse because nobody you know, sold Zilch. I knew it was going to sell Zilch, you know, but I made it anyway because I knew it was really good.
0: In this episode, we continue Wendy Kirby's recollections of her close friend Freddie Barretti's very important relationship with Angie and David Bowie. As Freddie designed and made the early Ziggy Stardust outfits and some of David's street clothes. Wendy was part of the Bowie's inner circle and experienced firsthand their bohemian lifestyle. When suburban Beckenham became problematic once fans began camping out in the front garden of Haddon Hall, the Bowie's moved to Chelsea and Wendy continues her story.
1: Well, I lived in Chelsea, so it was just round the corner for me. Um... And I'd pop in a lot more and I had total access to the house. They'd open the door say, hi, Wendy. And Freddie was there making clothes and Daniela had become the nanny by then. Zoe, little Zoe was there. Um, it was open house and David would be usually in bed with somebody. <laughs> and uh, I went round there quite a lot. I went to a lot of parties there and they were strange affairs. Um, there was our little group, Freddie, Darryl, and Daniela. Then there'd be people like Mick Jagger and Bianca. Ronnie Wood was often round there. I had a big crush on Ronnie Wood, but unfortunately, Chrissy Wood was always there. But I would have. I definitely would have. <laughs> and he was very friendly and very sweet. Bob Harris was often there. There was Mary Hopkin. And there was a sort of odd mix of people. It was kind of strange. And David's bed was in the front room, really, the pit. And I'd come in and I'd sit on the bed and chat to David. He didn't mind at all. And I said, hello, darling. I said, oh, did you never guess what's happened to me last night, blah, 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 because I was on speed most of the time. And he chatted me and there could be a boy in the bed, there could be a girl, there could be Ava Cherry, there could be whoever. And it was just so open. For me, that time, I never saw any animosity. David was very warm towards Angie. He was very protective. Mm. And there was a lot of affection between them. That doesn't get written about a lot, but there was. Um, They were a team. They were a team back then. And fame, as, as I remember it, it seemed to happen very quickly. Like, one minute we're lounging around in Haddon Hall with no pressure, and the next, I didn't know how to behave. Like, am I supposed to treat David differently now that he's famous? Like before, when I used to say to friends, oh, I'm going to see David Bowie. This is before Ziggy. They'd go, oh, yeah. When he became Ziggy, it was like, you know David Bowie. Wow, fantastic. It changed. It did change. Everything, I don't think we knew what we were meant to be doing. For David, it must have been really difficult. How do you be, you've wanted it for so long. You've wanted to be a pop star. Now you've got it. You're at parties with all your contemporaries Mick Jagger and all that. How does that make you actually feel? And, well, when I saw David with the new hairdo, I thought it was amazing. I thought it changed him completely. He went from being kind of ordinary to room. I'd never seen anyone with a hairdo like that. It was amazing. Angie started to kind of copy Daniela in a way. She bleached her hair bright blonde, started wet. She had her own style. People do say she stole Daniela's look, but I think that's a bit unfair, she used to wear pedal pushers and with those lovely Frederick of Hollywood mules, um, little sailor tops. Daniela didn't dress like that. Daniela would come to the sombrero and she had a beautiful figure in a completely see-through blouse, and no bra. And she was of Indian descent. And wow, that was pretty outrageous. And I can't remember Angie ever doing that. Mm-hmm. Freddie and Daniela, everybody thought they were boyfriend and girlfriend. And they were not. Freddie was gay. He was not bisexual. He was a gay man. I've got that from him and from Daniela. I asked Daniela, did you ever? No. She said I would have liked to, but no. It suited both of them. You know, but being a gay man back in the 70s was difficult and people would get attacked. And I think Freddie having a girlfriend kind of kept that away. For Daniela, who was only 16 when she came to the sombrero, Daniela was very immature, even for 16. She was childlike. And the idea of having this lovely, handsome boyfriend just was great. It suited her. She wasn't somebody who was very sexual. She was a child. She was very childlike. So she had Freddie as the boyfriend. It suited Freddie. Not only that, Daniela was bait. Straight guys would fancy Daniela. He then wrote All the Young Dudes. David name-checked me in the song, All the Young Dudes. The line was, Wendy stealing clothes from Marks and Sparks. He name-checked Freddie, picking spots off his face like stars. And he didn't tell me about that. I think I heard it on the radio. Anyway, I went to the sombrero, and David was standing next to Antonello, Ziggy, you know, standing there. He said, oh, hi, Wendy. And I said, hi. And he said, what do you think of the song, all the young dudes? And being young and arrogant, I kind of, what I meant to say was, I am thrilled, wait till I tell my mum, or whatever. Instead I said, oh darling, you should have put Harrods. I don't shop in Marks and Spencers. And he looked so disappointed. His face just dropped. If I could change that moment, I I would go back and say, listen David, forget my silly act. And of course, I couldn't go back and change what I'd said. When I saw his face drop, it was like, oh, I didn't mean that, actually. I mean, I'm thrilled, aren't But it was what it was. So he didn't tell me. So I feel very honoured that he actually put me in the song. And all these years later, people are singing, Wendy Stole Clothes, (laughs) Marks and Sparks. Who would have thought? Daniela, Antonello and Freddie and Maxine moved into a place in Gloucester Road. I moved into a place around the corner, so I still saw a lot of them. We then, I was round at Oakley Street and the next was somewhere along the Gene Genie video. Daniela and I were round at Oakley Street and David was due to go to do the Gene Genie taping at Top of the Pops. And he didn't want to go. He just didn't want to go. for I don't know for what reason. I don't know if Tony remember this time because I know Tony was at the top of the Pops. Um, and he said to Daniela that he would only go if me and her went along with him. For me, it was like, yeah. yeah, great. So I had to go home and change. I had to go home and change. And I put this long wig on with a big flower and this fishtail dress. And I came back and we all went off to Top of the Pops. And there were fans outside, and they were all sort of saying, oh, David, David, and Tony sort of hurled us through the door of Top of the Pops. And I thought, oh, this is fun. Like, "Oh, it felt like you were really important. So we all got into Top of the Pops. And with Top of the Pops, it looks like it's a huge thing. It's not. It's a small thing. And most of, most of the time is spent hanging around. I used to go to Top of the Pops when I was about 14, and I saw everyone there. I saw Hendrix, I saw The Stones, I saw everybody, but mostly you spend your time avoiding cameras. So David and the spiders were up on the stage, and Daniela and I were behind them. They wanted to get a sort of shot of us in the audience, so they put us kind of behind them. And they went over the take umpteen times, and we finally did it. Daniela and I, and you can see on YouTube, Daniela and I dancing behind David, the jean <laughs> Genie. So that was good fun. I don't know why David didn't want to go that night. But
0: After spending several years in the eye of this incredibly exciting storm, the fun obviously couldn't last forever, and David parted ways with Freddie in 1974, when was the last time that you saw Angie and David?
1: It must have been up till 1974. I had gone down a bit of a dark path, um, drugs... And I'd actually been round to Oakley Street one night and David and Angie were there and I turned up and they invited me to go to dinner. And I said, no, no, I'll I'll wait. You go to dinner. I'm not hungry and I'll wait till you come back. And I took some drugs, Mandrax. And I fell into all, it was down, I was down in the basement and I fell into David's clothes and I knocked them all off the hangers when they came back, I was like zonked out and their clothes were all over the floor. They were cool about it. They were very cool about it. Nobody gave me a hard time, but I felt so ashamed. I thought, what have I done? So I kind of stopped going around to Oakley Street at that time. Uh, I bumped into Freddie in the street. Back then, I was very pretty. And I got a lot of male attention. So I should dress down, I said, "Well, put an old lady's coat on and an old lady's hat so nobody would bug me. I was living with a Maltese guy in Knightsbridge at the time and Freddie spotted me, I don't know how he recognised me. Like, my mother wouldn't have recognised me and he said, oh my God, what do you look like? And they took me back to, I think it was Oakley Street and Antonello was there and they cut my hair and jush me up and I think that was the last time I saw Freddie. I isolated from... I've, there's shame. There's big shame with drug addiction. I mean, I've been clean for 36 years now, so I can talk about it, with, you know, detached. But I was using serious drugs. And I might say that when I knew the Bowies, there was no drugs. I was the one who used drugs. They drank, but I cannot remember anybody using drugs. I had four years of real happy times. When the Bowies were happy, you know, it was all the start of an adventure. So when later I saw Cracked Actor and David had succumbed to cocaine, I felt so sad. Oh, wow, how did that happen? You know, but I had my own road, so that that was the real end of it. What I've heard, I have tried to find out what happened to Freddie, and I linked back up with Daniela years later before, you know, Daniela passed away, sadly. And I tried to find out. Also, I met up with Angie when she came out of the Big Brother house. We went to see Kinky Boots at the theatre and we had lunch together. And I tried to piece together what happened then. And the last sighting of Freddie was Switzerland. Freddie was living in Switzerland and I think he was very bored there. Daryl was in touch with him, and Daryl said, come out to Israel, the trade is fantastic out here. (laughs) Gorgeous men, and I think Daryl lured Freddie out to Israel. Why David and Freddie broke up, I don't know. But Freddie then went to Israel, where he was making dresses for Orthodox Jewish women. He had a very small flat, And Daryl was working in a a confectionery shop. And they never mentioned London. Daryl mentioned David once. They met up with this guy called Paul Moody out there. I tracked him down and he told me, this has all come from Paul, who was out there with Daryl. He showed me a photo of Daryl and that was 1984. So they must have been out there 10 years. I couldn't believe it when I saw... I said, are you sure this is the right date? And he said, yes. It was like they'd never heard of London. They weren't homesick. They used to go out. Apparently, they got beaten up a few times. I think the Israeli army might not have been so receptive as (laughs) the guys in the sombrero. And they often had black eyes. What happened after that, I don't know. I don't know where Daryl went, and I don't know where Freddie went. What does surprise me is that he never tried to find us. He could have tracked Angie down on Facebook. He could have sent a message to David's team. But he never did. He didn't tell anyone, any of his family, that he was dying of cancer. I don't understand it. If he'd got in touch with Angie, she would have put him in touch with me. I'd have got in touch with Daniela. He could have found us. Antonello, the DJ, I think he had a drug habit as well. He ended up with hepatitis C, and he was waiting for a liver transplant. He went to a drop-in centre, but never came back. So I think he may be dead. Daniela died of um, bowel cancer. I was in touch with her, went down to see her in Worthing, but Daniela had her problems. You know, all of us had problems. And she, on the phone, she sounded as if she was 16 years old. It was only when I saw her, um, a guy called Lee... Scribbins made a little film about Freddie and I met her at the premiere and I kind of didn't recognise her. Yet she sounded the same. I don't know what happened with her life in between the Bowie years and I can't say because Daniela couldn't be relied on really to be truthful, unfortunately. But who would have thought that 50 years later I would be still talking about it? I can't believe that... And I loved the songs of that period. They're my favourite songs of David's. Songs like John, I'm Only Dancing, and Andy Warhol. I felt they had a strange energy that no other writer had, and kind of I liked his thought process.
0: Did you still regularly go to the sombrero, or did you also change that part of your life after such a long time?
1: The sombrero changed over the years. It it. It had its moment, those years that I'm talking about were when the sombrero was at its peak. Straight people came there, it was cool to go there and everybody was beautiful and it was all lovely. What happened later was that the Shagaramas opened up and the masquerade, so it diluted the group. People must have looked at the sombrero and thought there's money to be made from the gay scene. There's money to be made. And it doesn't have to be a CD dive we can open up a really lovely place and people will come. And they were right. People did go to the Masquerade and they did go to the Shegaramas. We started going there. But it diluted that vibe. So other places like Legends opened up and the Sombrero changed from being the coolest gay spot in town to kind of catering for older men and younger boys, became more rent boy Then it had a resurgence when punk arrived and all the punk crowd went there. They loved the vibe there. People like Jordan, um, Johnny Rotten, I think saved Armadale's life. Kit Lambert used to go there regularly. I think the night before he was murdered or on the night he was murdered, he went to the sombrero. Not in my time. I wasn't there at that time. But there was crime, if you like. Take Michael. Michael was a rent boy and his raison d'etre was blackmailing his customers and he was murdered because of that. One of his customers murdered him. He died very young and uh, he was stabbed to death. Armadeo, the manager of the sombrero, came to a very grisly end. One of his boyfriends set him on fire and killed him and the boy got off. I'm not quite sure what the full story is but the fact is that a young, Arab boyfriend of Amadeo's, set fire to him. And the young guy kind of, I think he got away with it more or less, because in court he said that this older man had corrupted him. There was a lot of dark undercurrent flowing through the Sombrero. Ozzy Clark was murdered by his lover. It wasn't on the surface a, a criminal feel to it, but I went back many years later and I went down and it was very different. Amadeo was still there. So was Juanito, the only surviving uh, waiter. And they were fab. They were thrilled to see me. I hadn't been there years. But the period, you know, when David and Angie, we met them there, it's like, it's in Aspic. I remember it very clearly. You know, I remember it very clearly. And I'm very glad I had that, those moments there at the time.
0: A lot has been written about the influence of the sombrero crowd on Angie and David, both musically and socially, and you've described how important the club was as a social hub during a very difficult period for the gay community. David helped a lot of people to be open about their sexuality, didn't he?
1: I think he did. So many people were absolutely influenced by David's bravery, and I think it was quite brave to do what David did. I think one of the most important things he did was when he went on the Russell Harty show and more or less said, oh, I'm bisexual. And he stated, I'm bisexual. That gave people a lot of hope. What was good about David was that he was cool. He made being bisexual, gay or whatever, cool. There was this fantastic creature on stage saying, I don't care, judge me if you want. And I think that had a huge influence on these little guys who lived out in the sticks, who'd been bullied. I had a friend... A Welsh guy, he used to go into a pub and people would pour pints of beer over his head because he was gay. He was the loveliest guy you could ever meet. But that was the kind of treatment gay men especially were um, experiencing. So to have this cool guy who looked so fab say, I'm bisexual, was huge. And I think... A lot of people would never have admitted they were gay if it hadn't been for David. I think they would have been too afraid to say. Even if they didn't say, I'm gay or bisexual, if they'd had the hairdo and the, the flash across their face, it was a statement. You go to a concert dressed like David Bowie, you're saying something. You're saying something, I approve, or this is my clan. This is who I am. So I think it was very important, very important. Hey.
0: Wendy Kirby recalling life in the sombrero and the importance of Freddie Barretti's personal and professional relationship with Angie and David Bowie during their main man years. There are some great pieces of memorabilia from this period in rock history that are part of an ever-growing archive of main man documents, including articles, telexes, letters and production notes. A lot of them never seen before that we're adding to the main man label website each week. It's a great record of a very exciting period in rock history. That's at mainmanlabel.com. And on the website, you can check out the other episodes in the Main Man series. I'm Des Shaw, and this is a Zinc Media MM Tech production. Thanks for listening.